0: ABC Listen, podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. Okay, now we're recording. That's my brother, Alex. He lives in the tech capital of the world, San Francisco. Just hold it up next to your mouth. Yep, the other one? Yeah, the phone. But he's not the best with technology. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Um, no problem. Okay, that's probably unfair. As a good older brother, Alex has agreed to help me out. He's taking a spin around the city in a car with no human driver. Oh, the car just arrived. It just said hello to me. And I'm going to put on my seatbelt. This is a Waymo taxi. It's owned by Google. Inside, it looks like any other car, with a few exceptions. Big blue button on it that says start ride. So I'm going to press that. And then there's the mass of cameras and other gizmos on the roof. The car takes off and it doesn't hold back. It is not driving tentatively at all. If there's, you know, pedestrians, it will definitely stop for them. San Francisco's driverless taxi rollout is underway. There are hundreds of these cars in the city, picking up passengers like Alex. Did you catch that? The car was talking to me, telling me what's happening. It's taken decades of false starts, misfires, crashes and failures to get to this point. But after many, many years, commercial driverless taxis are a reality, but they're still not perfect. They're crashing and causing chaos on the streets.
1: You're here. Please make sure it's clear before
2: exiting. Or exiting. Before exiting.
0: This is Hello AI Overlords, a new series of science friction about how AI has burst into our lives in just a few short years. I'm James Pertil. In this episode, San Francisco's driverless car experiment. San Fran, the home of big tech, is also now the home of hundreds of driverless taxis. Now the big promise of driverless cars is safety and convenience. Computers don't drink, don't sleep. They don't tick-tock and drive. But there are big questions over whether the technology is ready. Getting a car to drive itself is way harder than we realise. It's a road lined with broken cars and white crosses. are the cars safe and should we be testing them in public roads? Now, when you think of driverless cars, you think of the sleek designs we have today. But 30 years ago, it was a very different story. This was when the very first attempts at self-driving cars were being cobbled together as pet projects in robotics departments.
1: And I sort of... Fell into this great opportunity at the exact right time and place with the exact right people. That's Todd Joachim. And in the early
0: 90s, Todd was at Carnegie Mellon University. Now, Todd was an unlikely face in a robotics lab. He was a jock, a former high school footballer. These days, he coaches a high school team. We're the Mars Planets. Love it. Yeah. Go
1: Planets. (laughs) Yeah. Go Planets. That's right.
0: (laughs) But back in the 90s, in between his football careers, Todd was getting his PhD in robotics. And that's where he met Dean Pomelo. Dean had invented an AI brain controlling one of the world's first
1: ever self-driving cars. The brain's name was Alvin. It was literally on city streets, driving a vehicle using just a neural network with no gimmicks. You know, pure, pure, quote, AI. Picture a decommissioned
0: army ambulance, a huge vehicle with the brain of an ant.
1: The whole steering controller was a, running on an HC-11, which is, I don't even know if they make, that's like a calculator.
0: The car could steer itself about the uni parking lot or some of the nearby roads, but hadn't really ventured far. And Todd and Dean wanted to show the world what it could do. <laughs>
1: So we basically packaged up this vehicle, we packed our clothes, you know, got a credit card to pay for gas. We made no hotel reservations because we didn't know where we were gonna stop.
0: It's a scene straight out of a 1990s teen movie. Neural Network's road trip. (laughs) Pittsburgh to San Diego, over 4,000 kilometers the car they chose for this trip wasn't the giant army ambulance. They didn't want to attract too much attention, so they chose a less conspicuous minivan. They set off in summer. The car steered itself on the highways, while Todd and Dean took turns controlling the accelerator and brake. They called their mission, No Hands Across America.
1: Since we're well beyond the statute of limitations, uh... The fastest we got to was around 105 miles per hour between Las Vegas and San Diego in the middle of the desert. I don't know how much faster it would go, but this was a minivan, so we had sort of topped out how fast the minivan could go.
0: Okay, I just did the conversion. That's
1: 170 kilometers an hour with, without your hands on the wheel. Yes, yes, that's correct. I mean, our hands are there, but not touching the wheel, but yes. Maybe that was stupid. Maybe that was a little dumb. <laughs>
0: Part of the reason for the trip was to gather data to train future self-driving vehicles. Today, self-driving cars are trained on millions of hours of travel data gathered by other self-driving cars. Back then, this data didn't exist. The AI had to learn to adapt to different road types. It was seeing for the first time. Concrete, asphalt, unpainted, newly painted, roads marked with oil spatters, roads marked by glowing witches' hats.
1: Essentially, the system was able to identify those and adapt itself rapidly, like well under a second, to those new feature types and drive successfully. You're like a little space probe going out into the unknown. Correct,
0: yes. (laughs) They reached their destination in nine days, no crashes. And you might be thinking, if self-driving cars were this good in 1995, an age of Windows 95, why didn't we get them sooner? Well, Todd and Dean's car had steered itself on highways. That was the easy part. Highways are generally well marked with lots of visibility and no pesky pedestrians. The challenge was getting off the highways into the cities and suburbs. And that's something Todd and Dean's car couldn't do
1: on its own. It's a completely different kind of road, right? It's just it's sidewalk, grass, road. You have driveways every 100 feet. You have children and pets that basically don't know the rules of the road that you have to be careful for. It would be 10 years until
0: technology had improved enough to take on the next big challenge. And this time, there would be no highways at all. No nicely marked roads. Just a desert full of boulders, crags, cliffs, sand dunes and canyons. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. How are you? I can't see you though. Do you have a video? Oh. I do a video. Yeah. Here we go.
3: Hey.
0: Sebastian Thrun is one of the inventors, dare I say pioneers, of today's driverless cars. When I rang him for the interview, he took the call in a car that was driving itself down a highway in California. Is it a... What kind of car is it? It's a Tesla. He holds up his hands to show the car is steering itself, in a cream suit, blue Californian sky above. He's a vision of Silicon Valley success, an embodiment of techno-optimism.
3: If I could go up 500 feet in the air and fly to my destination, that would be so amazing.
0: Sebastian is currently trying to invent flying cars. That's another story. But 20 years ago, his reputation as an inventor and engineer was on the line. So was the future of driverless cars. Sebastian was trying to design and build a car that could do things no driverless vehicle had ever done before.
3: A competition for $1 million for the team that could build a car that could drive 140 miles without a person in sight through the Mojave Desert.
0: Organized by the US Department of Defense's research agency, DARPA, the race was open to all autonomous vehicles. Where Alvin had followed painted lines on the highway, this route was unmarked some of the competitors thought it was impossible. The
3: first time the competition was run was in 2004, and we had about 130 teams applying for it. I think about 13 or so competing in the final event.
0: This event is hard. In the first year, no team had come close to finishing.
3: It was a disaster. Most vehicles flipped over, went in the wrong direction, ran into obstacles. And even the best of the breed, a Carnegie Nell's uh, vehicle, only made it seven and a half miles before burning up in flames.
0: One year later, in 2005, at dawn, the competitors gathered at the starting line. Now, this is not a big spectacle. It's a bunch of nerds in the middle of a desert. But it had attracted the attention of some influential people.
3: One of the people at the race was wearing a baseball cap and sunglasses and looked at me and said, hey, I'm Larry Page. And I realised that the... uh, The Google co-founder had flown in.
0: Big Tech wanted to see if anyone could solve this seemingly impossible challenge. And there are all kinds of crazy approaches. 23 teams, each with wildly different strategies. One team bought a tank, another a motorbike, no human in any driver's seat. Sebastian's team had a blue Volkswagen four-wheel drive. It had a rack of cameras and other sensors mounted above the windshield. These were the eyes for the car's self-driving AI brain.
3: None of my colleagues in this race focused on machine learning. It was a very new thing.
0: They'd given the car this incredibly techy, super cool name of Stanley. The race began. Sebastian watched his creation, Stanley, head out into the desert without a human. If all went well, the driverless car would follow a track consisting of a series of GPS waypoints and it would return later that day.
3: It was a bit like a a parent who had raised their kids to go to college and see them go to college and see if they can make good decisions on their own.
0: After seven hours of anxious waiting, the competitors saw a cloud of dust on the horizon.
3: And first we saw two helicopters. We saw a dust cloud. We couldn't quite tell if it's our car or somebody else's car. And then when this dust cloud turned a little bit blue, we realised, wow, that's Stanley, it's our car, that car we built. And that car came closer and closer and all of a sudden went all the way to the finish line. I was the proudest person on the planet.
0: Stanley returned, and for the first time ever, the car had completed the DARPA challenge. Only 10 years after Alvin steered itself on the highway, Stanley had gone off-road and steered, braked, and accelerated itself around boulders and canyons. Even as he was celebrating with his team, Sebastian knew exactly how important this moment was for driverless tech. This one day in the Mojave Desert had changed everything. And I don't think
3: the general public was really understanding the importance of this moment, but this was the moment when the impossible had been accomplished. No, nowhere ever in the history of humanity had a car been able to drive that long a distance under these challenging conditions. And there was a moment when we realised that the sky is the limit. That's going to be amazing.
0: Larry Page, who was there watching the race, was impressed by Sebastian. And he gave the engineer a job at Google and his next impossible mission.
3: We set ourselves the objective to build a self-driving car that could drive at any public road in California.
0: Google called this mission its driverless car moonshot. It was going big, investing billions to make a great leap forward. When the tech and auto industries found out, they went all in too. There was a mad scramble to build the first true driverless car, because whoever mastered this technology would have the world at their feet. And they all said driverless cars were right around the corner, only a few years away. But like with Alvin and Stanley, the challenge is harder than it appeared. Okay, chuck in reverse and slowly inch my way out past the panel van. uh, So I'm driving around the city, I'm kind of thinking how a driverless car would do this, how it would see the world. For a car learning to drive, it's kind of like a human learning to drive. A lot of us have been through that and it's a bit of a traumatic experience. For me it was, at least I failed my driver's test. Well, let's just say several times, undisclosed number of times, and uh, one time I went down a one-way street in the wrong way. But of course, humans eventually, a lot of us mostly, learn to drive pretty well. And I asked Todd Joachim why computers that seem so smart really struggle with this skill.
1: I see a moving sign, I see a moving truck. That's a new family that might have a young child. I'm going to change my driving. You know, those subtle things, which are one in a trillion, that there's no training examples for, I'd I'd be willing to bet there's no training examples for, but for a human, like really means something like be careful here. There's a new, you know, a person that's not used to this. The reason it's so hard
0: to teach a car how to drive comes down to the chaos of reality. The AI learns to navigate, to react to the world, through initially being driven around by a human and gathering data about the world. A dog runs across the road, the driver brakes. the car learns how to respond to dogs. So far, so good. But now think of everything this freshly born, self-driving car might encounter driving along a busy city street. And then multiply that by all the potential conditions, day or night, rainy or sunny, And pretty soon, you realise it's a lot. There's almost a limitless number of scenarios a car may encounter. That's what I mean by the chaos of reality. And that's what Sebastian Thrun and his team faced at Google.
3: It might be a tractor trailer that's parked diagonally across your lane. It might be a plastic bag blowing in the highway. It might be a construction zone you didn't anticipate.
0: And remember, lives are at stake. The lives of passengers in these cars and also pedestrians, cyclists, and other road users. So we needed to make
3: sure that all these situations are handled perfectly by the self-driving car.
0: And the companies developing this technology were in a bind. They'd promised driverless cars, but the cars kept getting bamboozled by unforeseen events, random permutations that weren't in their training data. And in one case, a self-driving Uber ran over and killed a pedestrian. Even Sebastian, who's clearly a big supporter of self-driving cars, urged caution.
3: I still believe that technology needs to be more mature. There were cases we hadn't completely understood yet. And I want to harden the technology because the day we release it to the public, we are putting the public at risk and I want that risk to be absolutely minimal.
0: It's been 30 years since Todd and Dean's minivan steered itself across America. 20 years since Sebastian's Blue VW did the impossible in the Mojave Desert. We've been waiting for driverless cars much longer than big tech promised. But now we're here, 2023, and Google is saying we're ready. After billions of dollars and countless hours of work, we're going to market. Don't worry about the safety problems, we fix them. And the great testing ground will be San Francisco. The driverless car has arrived. Sometimes the most consequential decisions can happen in the most mundane settings. Decisions that affect millions decided in a grim government building. And that's the case with driverless cars. August 10, 2023 was a mild summer's day in San Francisco. Trams going up the hills, goals squawking in the harbour. Four bureaucrats met to decide the future of driverless cars in the city decision that would ultimately affect the whole world, but first in true American democratic fashion, they hear from the people.
1: At today's meeting, the public will have the opportunity to make public comments either in person or by telephone.
0: If you- These submissions go for seven hours. Jesus Christ,
3: here we are again, San Francisco about to have four people make a decision on whether or not the city is going to be pimped out by yet another couple of large tech companies
0: the tech companies are of course google it spun out its driverless car moonshot into its own company waymo and there's another company cruise owned by general motors and specifically they're asking for permission to charge customers and operate 24 7. but really it's about more than that if the regulator says no here in their backyard the hometown of big tech they may not get approval elsewhere and this would stop the rollout of the technology in its tracks.
1: I'm here today to encourage the commission to approve Waymo's application. My top concern is safety.
0: Not all the speakers are against Waymo and Cruises application. This is a city that generally loves its technology and lots of people say the cars will be safer than human drivers. Every single day without self-driving cars 10 Californians are killed, uh, about 100 Americans, and there are literally millions uh, who cannot drive uh, and are unnecessarily prevented from going uh, where they need to go uh, to live their best life. Eventually, the public have spoken and the regulator has to make a decision. And so the future of driverless cars is decided by four people. One votes against the application. Three vote in favour. And immediately, like overnight, there are hundreds of Waymo and Cruise driverless taxis operating in the city 24-7. It's a huge moment, the birth of a new era of transportation.
2: And then the cars start crashing. After the last few accidents in last month, my kids told me I wasn't allowed to drive and go in self-driving cars anymore. But I still do. Don't tell them. Shh. You can't stay away, hey? I, I, I want to see how they're progressing. I want to be able to measure it and then be able to talk with knowledge instead of um, hype. Rodney Brooks is an
0: Australian roboticist who lives in San Francisco. He's a former head of the MIT Computer Science Lab. Rodney's built the robots that work away in our factories and warehouses, the ones that diffuse bombs and handle spent uranium. He even invented the Roomba robotic vacuum cleaner. And along the way, Rodney's kept
2: an eye on driverless cars. And he's been a tough critic. Because I've built more robots than any other human in the world, um, I can't quite be ignored um, by what I say. And I'm continuing to do that work. Um, And I ran the biggest uh, computer science department in the world for a number of years at MIT when I joined the computer science lab and the AI lab in in 2003. So I still get some respect, even though people think, oh, he's getting to be a bit of a fuddy-duddy.
0: So Rodney is one of the best people in the world to judge driverless cars. His conclusion? The cars work well, until they don't. In the first three days after that regulatory approval, a driverless car crashed into a fire truck. Another got stuck in wet cement, and 10 caused gridlock by stopping in the street and refusing to budge. They rarely struggle in unusual situations, like that wet cement, or when there's nearby pedestrians. Then they start behaving like an owl plater in their mum's manual.
2: It reminded me of when I taught my teenagers to drive 25 years ago. It was Brakes on, brakes off, brakes on, jerk sideways, worrying about the traffic around, coming off the road at a traffic light too fast, almost hitting other cars, doesn't do so well there. The problem that Rodney's identified is the one that's been there
0: all along. Driverless cars versus the chaos of reality. Or as he puts it, The real world is not there to cooperate. Rodney says that after all these years,
2: driverless cars still aren't ready they can do some things, but it's still a long way from being as good as an Uber driver. They're much slower, they're not good in heavy traffic, and they're really bad in unusual situations. That doesn't mean they won't get better and better over time, but it's going to be a long time before they're good enough they can just be thrown into any city. Sebastian Thrun says
0: the cars are not perfect now, but they're learning and improving, and people should trust them.
3: I always admired Watt for his ability to be a great visionary, but he's just plainly wrong. We know that every year they get smarter and smarter, so I don't understand why anyone would deny what you can see with your plain eyes here in San Francisco.
0: In the weeks after we spoke to Sebastian and Rodney, Cruz's license was suspended. After some pretty bad incidents, the regulator said the company's robo-taxis were a risk to public safety. The experiment isn't over for Waymo. Its cars are still operating in San Francisco. They have been involved in fewer accidents than Cruises' cars. And both Cruise and Waymo say their cars are safer than human drivers. And they say that's backed up by the raw accident data. Self-driving cars cause fewer prangs or broken bones than human drivers. Ultimately, the success of driverless cars is going to come down to public trust. My brother Alex is still taking Waymos. Does it feel weird to be in this car with nobody in the driver's seat? It actually doesn't feel, you know, the strangest thing about it is how normal it feels. Remember the first time you tried Uber? How amazing it was to order a car via an app. And it would arrive, driven by some random friendly person who wasn't a taxi driver but it worked and soon it seemed the most mundane thing in the world. I asked my brother Alex what it was like living in this driverless car future. It really just feels like a taxi and it is strange seeing the steering wheel turn but the actual driving experience if you just look out the window is completely normal. Since San Francisco, other American cities have approved their own driverless taxi trials driverless cars are coming to the rest of the world. Now they have to learn the layouts, the traffic patterns, the road rules and unofficial habits, the hook turns and startled kangaroos of each new city. And that's gonna be hard. Each new city is an experiment in AI's ability to learn. You may soon be asked, do you want this future? This is Hello AI Overlords, a science fiction series. I'm James Fertil. Our show is made on the lands of the Whadjuk Nunga, Wurundjeri and Palawa with production by Jordan Fennell, Erica Voles, and Will Ockenden. Sound engineering by Marcus Hobbs. You can find our previous episodes on the ABC Listen app. See you next week.